Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with guest pastor Char Broderson. And now for those who are in Christ, he calls us to his own way of power and authority. And it's not about how much power we can wield now, but how much we can serve. It's not about how high we can go, but how high we can lift others and especially those who have no honor and power in our society. What an incredible and tangible way that God invites us into his kingdom work. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Char Broderson continues our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Join us as Pastor Char concludes his teaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31, in a message titled, The Wisdom and the Power of the Cross. And now, here's Pastor Char. Rich or poor, sickness and in health, yada, 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 until death do his part. For me in that moment, what I was really declaring was how I felt about grace in that moment. You know, making a declaration like, babe, I die for you. But man, how hard it has been to live for my wife. Right? That's the real stuff. To choose her over myself. That's a struggle, but that's where the rubber meets the road. That's when husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. It's not just that you take a bullet for your babe. It's that every single day you put her before yourself. That's what we're talking about. And yet how we can make it this like ethereal out there. Oh yeah, Jesus and him crucified. Oh no, that is the blood and guts of everyday stuff. That's what we're talking about. And this is what Paul calls us to. This is what Paul is calling the Corinthian church to. And see, this is the way God's wisdom and power actually works. So I think I need to just qualify something. I don't want to be misunderstood. Paul was not down on power and wisdom. I think sometimes the way that we preach 1 Corinthians, or maybe even already you're thinking like, okay, yeah, you know, power bad, weakness good, you know. Wisdom bad, foolishness good. It's like, that's not what we're actually talking about here. Paul goes at lengths to show the way humans often misuse these gifts from God. And in my observation, I think Christians often make two missteps when it comes to power. We either wield power the same way the world does, or we refuse it in false humility. We reject it. I think about those who maybe came out of the world and came out of like, you know, just a strong power structure, intimidation, manipulation. But they led these huge businesses, corporations, or, you know, we're doing things, significant things, strong leaders, and yet they come into the church, receive the gospel, and then almost just plateau. Rather, you think about like Paul the apostle and what God did with him talks about how he was a radical zealot for the way of the Pharisees, for the way of Phineas, all these things. And yet he meets Jesus, the Messiah on the road, and he's radically changed, but he goes just as hard now for Jesus as he, even harder than he ever went. 
Now he does this for Jesus, the Messiah, because he actually sees a bigger vision, a bigger kingdom than the one that he was serving, than the one that he was building. And so I hope even as we talk about true wisdom and true power, that if God has given that to you, given you that opportunity, that you will not reject it, but that you will use it in the way that it was meant to be used. What God wants for us who are in Christ is to learn by Jesus' example to use the gifts that God has given to humanity properly. So how do disciples of Jesus properly use wisdom and power? If you have a Bible, Mark chapter 10. Look at this in just a minute. So in Mark's gospel, we have this incredible story. Remember the brothers, James and John, disciples of Jesus, They were seeking authority, power, and greatness from Jesus. They've been following Jesus for, you know, probably two, almost three years at this time. They've seen the miracles that Jesus has done to him, you know, show his power and his goodness. They knew that Jesus was Messiah. And so just like any Jew at that time, they're expecting Jesus eventually to roll into Jerusalem to set up his kingdom in opposition to the Roman kingdom, to throw down the Jewish tyrannical system and all these things, and to set himself up as king. And so they ask, Jesus, when you enter your glory, can we sit on your right and left hand? And so Jesus asks him a series of questions, you know, and then finally he says, actually, sorry, it's already been reserved You think, well, who's it been reserved for? What's he talking about? So here's the irony of Mark's gospel. As you get to the end, you realize that the moment that Jesus is exalted, that he's glorified, the moment when Jesus comes into his kingdom is actually on the cross. And guess what? There are two individuals who are on his right and on his left. He says, you don't know, James, You don't know, John, what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism with which I will be baptized? See, Jesus' glory looks radically different from the way that we think of glory. I think of that amazing passage in Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53 where Isaiah writes, who would have believed that this was the mighty arm of the Lord. You think about that it was the mighty hand of God that brought Israel out of Egypt, that crushed Pharaoh, that brought them safely through the waters, that crushed their enemies. And yet Isaiah, as he foresees the suffering servants, how could this be the mighty hand of God? And yet this is the moment of all moments when Jesus will be exalted to show what real power, what real wisdom does. It is outward-facing, servant-oriented, sacrificial. That's what real power and real wisdom looks like. And this, ladies and gentlemen, yes, this is the mighty hand of God. And so that when God gives power and authority to his people, he expects it to look like Jesus, others-oriented. 
I love what N.T. Wright says in his commentary, Mark. He says, the cross is where the glory shall be revealed because it is there that God turns worldly power and authority on its head. The cross is God's way of putting the world and ourselves to rights. It challenges and it subverts all the human systems which claim to put the world to right, but in fact only succeed in bringing about suffering, death, and a different set of humans on top. How many times have we seen that? Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. We won't get fooled again, right? Think you're Roger Daltrey. Anybody? The who? No? Somebody. But I mean, we've seen this again and again and again. And there at the cross, God turns it all on its head. The cross calls into question all human pride and glory. And it carries radical, dangerous political meaning. This is what true wisdom and power looks like. Now, as the story goes on in Mark, think just a few other things I want to highlight about this. Jesus brings the disciples together, and he speaks once again about what greatness and leadership looks like. Listen to this. Mark 10, 42 through 45, if you have your Bible. He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. This is not the way. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even, comparison, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I think what's so important to note in Jesus teaching his disciples is that he affirms the one who wants to become great and wants to be first in the kingdom of God. See, it's clear, if you read through scripture, it's clear that God is not down on ambition. I think sometimes we get this idea where, even reading through 1 Corinthians chapter one, I've heard it preached like God is just trying to put humanity in their place. Like, yeah, that's right. Big God, in your place. Like it's this weird like intimidation thing. This is not what's happening here. God is not down on ambition or desire. Like we shouldn't want power. We shouldn't want greatness or honor. That these are bad things to desire. So we need to get rid of the desire. That's actually what's taught in Buddhism. But these, according to the Bible, are not inherently evil. Remember Adam and Eve, the first humans, they were created to rule, to have authority over the creation. They were created for greatness. The problem is, as I said before, that power, greatness, and ambition have been twisted through human selfishness and sinfulness. So what Jesus desires is to correct ambition and put it in its proper context. As I said, I think through redemption in Christ, through coming through and and receiving the broken body, the shed blood of the king of the universe for our sake. We're being washed and cleansed of all of those ideas of what real power, of what real wisdom looks like. And we come out the other side. But like I was saying about Paul, there's this huge playing field. God wants us to rule and reign. He wants us to cultivate and subdue the earth but to do it in a way that brings justice, 
that brings equity, that brings goodness, that brings protection. That's what God wants us to do with our power. And so Jesus redefines for his disciples, for us, what is honorable, what is worthy of praise, what is honorable, what is true greatness and power in God's kingdom. And Jesus answers for us, if you would be great, wonderful, let's do it. Be the servant of all. That is what true greatness and power in God's kingdom looks like as portrayed by the king himself, the king of glory. It's an others-oriented life, and Jesus constantly showed this, not just in his death, but in his life in ministry. And I, the one that always stands out to me, it's just so powerful, is the John 13 passage where Jesus takes the at-your-service posture and washes the feet of his disciples. You know, years ago, I was teaching through the Gospel of John at our church on Sunday mornings, and I was trying to understand, like, contextually, like, you know, what was Jesus really doing and what did it look like in a Greco-Roman culture and a Jewish culture? And here's what's going on there. This culture considered foot washing below even the lowest service. No one washed another person's feet in that culture. And yet, we see Jesus doing and going lower than any human was even meant to go in a caste system. He goes lower than all of that and washes the feet of his disciples and then turns around and says, you, you see what I have done? Do this for one another. Love one another as I have loved you. Serve one another. Be at your service. But Jesus also elaborates on this in the Sermon on the Mount. So he tells us, he says, the real life, the flourishing life, the great life, the good life, a life of wisdom is a life of meekness, a life of humility, practicing mercy, practicing suffering, suffering injustice, and at the same time, practicing righteousness and justice, peacemaking and pureness of heart. These are the characteristics that mark Jesus' people the cruciform way, the upside-down kingdom of God. The posture of power, the posture of authority, the posture of wisdom and leadership in God's kingdom is to be servant of all. It's to take all of that authority, all of that power, all of that greatness, and use it to serve. Use it for the benefit of others. Humanity, the way that we think about power, more often than not, the great ones, like Jesus says, are those who are served by everyone else. It's the way it works in all human cultures. It's the way it worked in the Greco-Roman culture. The one at the top is supported by everyone else. But Jesus' kingdom diagram is the upside-down triangle. It's our new Christian symbol, right? The upside-down triangle is the way of the kingdom of God. It's completely backwards and upside-down. Jesus finishes this teaching for his disciples with just an incredible statement. I think sometimes it's lost on us, but he says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, 
but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. In Jewish theology, the son of man, he's greater than David. He's greater than Solomon. He's the greatest king ever in their history. And it, it's not just he's like, he's the capstone. Like this is it. This is when God's kingdom reign comes, right? So he's Jewish theology's ultimate ruler. He's the long-awaited king, the one to whom Yahweh is going to grant the kingdom, the power, and the glory. He's the one who will rule the nations with a rod of iron. And yet, listen to what Jesus says. This great one will exhibit his greatness, not by being served, but by serving and giving his life as a ransom for many. This is how the true king, the king of kings, this is how he shows his greatness, by service. And this, this is the piece, you guys, that should strike us to the core of our being. If this is what the king the Son of God, the Creator to whom all power and glory belongs, if this is how He uses His power, then what about me? How am I to use my power? How am I to use my wisdom and learning? How am I to use my influence? Well, I'm to use it in that same way, to be a servant to be one who gives themselves sacrificially for the life of the world, even as he did. And that is any and all, regardless of societal honor, regardless of worth, the worldly and the worthless, regardless of class, regardless of ethnicity or color or sex or politic. You get the idea irregardless of any of these things, our posture as the people of God is one of service. That is what true greatness looks like. And it is radically different from the way our world has done it and still does. And as I said, the world is looking for, they're looking for an answer. Someone show us the way. We know we need leadership. We know we need power. We know we need authority. We know we need wisdom, but it keeps biting us. And so here comes the king. Here comes the creator to set the world right. And he shows us there in the cross how it is truly done. He shows us through his life how it is truly done. And now for those who are in Christ, he calls us to his own way, Jesus' way of power and authority. And it's not about how much power we can wield now, but how much we can serve. It's not about how high we can go, but how high we can lift others. And especially those who have no honor and power in our society. What an incredible and tangible way that God invites us into his kingdom work. We think about evangelism. For me, I know 
with the people that I interact with, people that I bump into, the conversations that I have, what gets through is a questionable life. Not necessarily, and I'm not saying that God does not use these things, but not necessarily unapologetic in the way that we normally think about it. Or the Romans road, as we often have used to share the gospel with people. But what tends to open the door is this at-your-service posture of Jesus. When people see that, they draw in. And here's the radical thing. Remember, church, when Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. There's something so beautiful, so good, so true about this lifting up of Jesus to see what real power, real wisdom looks like. And I believe that the world is longing for this. And so we have this opportunity to live out the gospel, to see men and women drawn in, to know the true king, to know the true power, to know the true wisdom from God. How is God calling us to do this? Everyday opportunities. As we put the cruciform life of Jesus on display in our places of work, that we manage for the benefit of others, not for how much money we can make and how big a vacation we can go on, how nice of a car we can drive, not thinking about ourselves and our own benefit, how it benefits and protects us, but how much we can benefit others. That is the way of Jesus. By being a father or mother who lives to lift their children up, to see them succeed, to see them grow into all that God has called them to be. To use our power and authority in their life to cultivate their lives. And we can think of a hundred other examples of how God is calling us to do this in everyday circumstances. Those are the real life implications of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And this is what Paul had expected to see at work in the life of the congregation at Corinth. But instead, what did he find? A church in chaos, bitterness, and at war amongst himself. May it not be so with us. Let the message of Christ crucified for you. Christ in weakness for me. Let that compel us to put the life of Jesus on display. Let the message of the cross do what it's meant to do. Challenge us and the rest of the world to rethink and recalibrate our lives according to the true power and wisdom of the cruciform way of Jesus. Lord, be it unto us. And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. Hi, Pastor Brian here. One of my favorite subjects is that of apologetics. 
And it's so important to know what we believe and to also know why we believe what we believe. So I want to recommend a fantastic book, a book by Paul E. Little that is called Know Why You Believe. And this book's been around for quite a few years And he does just a real great job in simply laying out arguments for why we believe in God, why we believe Jesus rose from the dead, why we believe the Bible is the Word of God. And I think that this is something that every Christian ought to educate themselves in. So I want to recommend Paul E. Little's book, Know Why You Believe. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little. You can order the book Know Why You Believe by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights as Pastor Brian resumes our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.